Hey, we're glad that you're here this morning. If you're a guest again, thanks for being here. Uh, we're in a series called Blind Spots, and this summer we're studying through the book of Proverbs. So if you've got a Bible, you can open it up. We're going to be in Proverbs uh, chapter 5 this morning. We're going to jump around to some other passages as well. Uh, but the whole premise of this series, uh, Blind Spots, is about identifying uh, spiritual blind spots in our lives, things that we can't see, that if we're not careful, have a devastating effect on our spiritual development, on our lives, and even physically can have um, some effects on us, some consequences because of the sin that we failed to identify. Now, if you're also, if you're a guest with us, I want to encourage you uh, not just to jump into this passage with us, not just to, to study with us, but we want to get to know you. And so we're just glad that you would spend your time with us. We would love to talk to you and hear your story. I'll be down here right after the service. Uh, we'd love for you to talk to the Morris family. They'll be out in the lobby. They'd love to talk to you and get to know you. Uh, anybody here this morning as well. You'll notice uh, there's something I want to bring to your attention that uh, the bulletin looks different if you're a regular here at New Hope. It looks a little bit different. You're wondering, hey, do we pray anymore? Where's that prayer sheet? We still pray, I promise. We just did. Uh, we still pray. You can find the prayer sheet out at the Welcome Center. We want to encourage you to go and grab that. And one of the things I want you to keep in mind is our student ministry. Uh, they're on a big trip this week uh, that's focused on discipleship. They're actually headed to the beach. So it's like go to the promised land and get discipled. So it's pretty awesome. They're in Florida. Uh, and they'll be arriving tonight to begin a week of really focusing on, on Jesus and what he's going to be doing uh, in their lives. And so we want to ask you to pray for them this week as well. And two of those kids that went on this trip, I was praying hard would be able to go on the trip. And because of your generosity, we were able to scholarship these two kids. When you give to the buck in the bucket ministry at the back of the room, that extra dollar adds up. And because of that generosity, two of these kids who would not have been able to go on this trip, because of your generosity, they're going on the trip. And so I want to thank you personally uh, for doing that, continually uh, being constant with that, being consistent, uh, because that's going to change these kids' lives. This is going to be a turning point week for them, and I'm excited to see what God does in their lives. Hey, let's pray this morning, and then we'll open the, uh, God's Word. Father, thank you for all that you do in our lives. Thank you, God, uh, for the time we have to come and open your Word. I just pray, Father, this morning that through the work of your Spirit, your Word would uh, be impressed upon our hearts and our minds, that, God, uh, a truth would be so planted into us that when we leave here, we would be different. We'd be reminded of the truth of the gospel and the difference it makes in our lives, God, that church would not be a seat where we watch a stage. It would be a gathering place where we're equipped and prepared to scatter and live intentionally for Jesus during the week. And so, Father, we come and we open your word prepared to hear from you. And we offer you this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, we're going to talk about something a little heavy, uh, but it, it'll be uh, challenging and convicting, but I think encouraging at the same time. One of the blind spots that we fail to identify sometimes is just the concept of sin in general. There are sins in our lives that we fail to see, and they develop, and they continue to get bigger, and they continue to wreak havoc on our lives. They unravel different parts of our lives. And so to begin talking about these specific sins as we go through the next few weeks, I'm like, you're like, yes, I'm coming back. Uh, <laughs> we're going to start with the basis of what sin is. And so three things this morning, I just want to walk you through what the Bible teaches. What is sin? What sin is, what sin does, and how sin is overcome in your life. Now, for many of you, you might think this is a reminder, but I think you're going to be challenged this morning like I have been in preparation. So let's start this way. What sin is? On June the 6th, 1944, at 6.30 in the morning, 5,000 ships carrying 160,000 Allied troops approached the southern beaches in France for the largest invasion in modern history that we now know as D-Day. Some of the men who survived this invasion, they said they remembered the steady stream of announcements that kept coming up over the speakers on the ships. They remember phrases like this, fight to get your troops ashore, fight to save your ships. 
And if you've got any strength left, fight to save yourself. Or another one. We may die on the sands of France, but we will never turn back. Or this one. This is it. Pick it up, put it on. You've got a one-way ticket. And this is the end of the line. 2,500 Americans died that day, many in a span of about 15 minutes as the beach as the, the boats reached the shores in France, many soldiers remember having to climb over the bodies of other soldiers just to get to the shore. Images like that, images like that make us grateful for the men and women who have fought and given their lives for freedom. But this morning, I want to bring it up because I'm convinced that not a single person on one of those boats underestimated what they were about to walk into. They had no, no delusions about what they were walking into. They did not think that they were going to the southern beaches in France for an exotic vacation. That's not what was on their mind. They knew exactly what they were walking into. They were up against an enemy who wanted nothing more than to kill and destroy them. And friends, I'm convinced that the tragedy around us is what Proverbs is screaming out to us, is that sin, you must start with an understanding of sin, is that sin is a war. Sin is a war. It's a battle. And for many of us, we don't view it that way. We'd rather view life like a vacation. We'd rather show up on the the beaches of this war and pretend like we're not in a battle, like it's not that big a deal, like we have the strength, we can overcome it, we can do this on our own. And Proverbs and the wisdom of God is screaming out to us, you are no match for this enemy in and of your own strength. You have no ability to overcome this. You have to understand what it is that you're walking into. How silly would it have been on D-Day for them to show up with a beach towel and pool toys, thinking they were ready to play? And yet many of us, we show up to this, the, the shores of this battle for our hearts and our allegiance and our lives, and we show up with a beach towel and pool toys. And we begin to think to ourselves, this is not that big of a deal. This is the blind spot that Proverbs is speaking of. And don't just view sin as this thing. Like Many of us, we view sin as like a, a bunch of rules, and if you break the rules, God's going to strike you, and God's going to give you these consequences. The Bible talks a lot about rules, but when it speaks of sin, it's something much deeper than rules. You see, sin is, sin is not just breaking rules, it's severing, it's the unraveling, it's the slow killing of a relationship between a creator and his creation, between a heavenly father and his children. You sin, sin is much deeper than you break a rule and you get in trouble. Sin is breaking the heart of the one who created you and longs for you, wants nothing more than to be connected to you, so much so that he would send his son, and yet our sin continues to unravel and kill our lives. Think about this, the whole Bible contrasts this. The whole Bible does. It talks about what sin is and what sin does and, and, and how sin has this profound effect on you. And if you're not careful and you're blind to what it does, it slowly grows and slowly numbs you and slowly kills you. The Bible describes sin this way. It says, this is what sin is. Proverbs chapter 5. Let's just look at three verses. Now, here, here's the thing. You're prepping a sermon like this and you're in Proverbs. And Proverbs talks about all kinds of sins. You can read through the whole book and you can see it, but it doesn't get really specific about sin in general. And so the passage we're studying today is speaking of a specific sin, adultery. It's speaking of a sin of sexual immorality. But the language used in chapter 5 describes what takes place in our heart with a number of sins when we begin to engage them. So look at what verses 3 to 6 say. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. So what, what it's saying here is the first thing you need to understand about sin is that it's enticing. You see, sin, sin is not appealing to you because it's boring or bad. Not all sin looks evil at face value. Most of the time, the struggles that you have with sin are things that you appreciate. They're things that you're attracted to. They're things that you desire. And they're things that you want to be a part of your life. And here's the thing. A lot of them aren't bad things in and of themselves. In fact, I would say most are not bad. 
The Bible says here it's like honey, and it's, it's sweet, and it appeals to you, and it's smoother than oil, which means it, it, it attracts you, it pulls you in, it's comforting. But it doesn't stop there. It continues in verse 4. But in the end, even though sin is enticing and comforting, in the end, sin, it has a bitter, sweet, a bitter taste, as bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. So you learn that sin might be enticing and comforting, but it's deceitful. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 tells us that our enemy was the craftiest, the most deceitful in the Hebrew, the most deceitful of all the creatures created. You see, sin doesn't entice you in areas of your strength. Sin comes after you in areas of your weakness. Sin appeals to you like honey and as smooth as oil in the areas that it knows that it can get a hold of you. The enemy's not an idiot. The enemy's not like, well, what, what bores them? Let me tempt them with the things that they don't like and don't appreciate. No, the enemy is coming after you, and we're sitting back with a beach towel and pool toy saying, no big deal, let's just hang out. And he is attracting your heart with the very things that he knows he can get a hold of your heart and your life, and he deceives you into thinking it's a good thing only to leave a bitter taste in your mouth. You know, notice the contrast in verses 3 and 4. Honey and wormwood, as bitter as wormwood. Nothing that leaves an aftertaste in your mouth can actually be honey, but sure, it can appear to be. And before you know it, it begins to have this deadly effect on you. Look at verse 5, or yeah, 5 and 6. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander, and she does not even know it. So sin is not only going to have this effect on you where it just leaves this aftertaste, and it's not that big of a deal. What he's teaching us here is that if you begin to engage sin, slowly it will lead to death, both physically and spiritually. Sin unravels what God created. Sin does not care about your emotions and what you like. All sin wants to do is draw you in, deceive you, leave you wanting what you thought you'd be satisfied with only to continually kill your soul and ultimately lead to your death. The Bible's teaching here is sin, not all bad things. It's just anything that we elevate to a place that it shouldn't be. You see, sex is not a bad thing. Specifically what they're talking about. Sex is not a bad thing. It's a gift from God. Money, not a bad thing. It's a gift from God. All of these things can be good things, but anything that you place such an emphasis on in your life becomes your identity, right? And we talked about this. Sin really starts with the fear of the Lord. And the fear of the Lord teaches us this. Your greatest fear is an indicator of your greatest love and the thing that you fear losing the most. That's sin. Sin creates in you a fear for whatever that object is, whatever that thing is. And before you know it, that's your greatest fear. I can lose a lot of things. I don't want to lose that thing, though. If I lose that, and whether it's politics, maybe yours is politics, maybe yours is education, maybe yours is knowledge or money or success or, or being famous or being well-known, whatever it is, fill in the blank, and your greatest fear is losing that thing. And when that thing is removed because sin, like honey, really just leaves you a bitter taste in your mouth, and when it leaves you wanting and doesn't actually deliver on the promises that you thought it would deliver on, it actually leaves you in an identity crisis. It actually leaves you struggling to figure out where to put your allegiance, where to put your affection, where to find your self-worth and your value. And before you know it, sin has robbed you of your value and your worth. Because that's how it deceives us. It can be anything that you plug into that place. And so sin is not so much breaking a rule. It's not that we break this this rule and, and God says, hey, don't do this. And so then we do it and then we're in trouble and then we just move on. Sin is the breaking of God's heart. It's the unraveling, the slow unraveling of your relationship with your creator. So that's what sin is, but what is it that sin does? You see, sin doesn't, sin, sin doesn't only separate you. It does separate you, but it actually begins to slowly kill you. It's the undoing of what God did in creation. So God created, 
And then sin comes and it destroys what was created. It undoes what God spoke into being. Now, the Bible talks all about this. All through your Bible, it's going to talk about the difference between the word of God and the darkness or, or the word of the enemy, the work of the enemy. And so God's word brings life. Sin brings death. They contrast it with light and darkness. They contrast it with uh, joy and, and despair, all these different things. But it comes down to what Proverbs is teaching us is this. The word of God brings life and sin brings destruction. And you have a decision to make. Will you allow the word of God to be what gives life to your soul? I was talking to someone recently, and we're talking through a sin issue. So somebody has this sin struggle that's beginning to really eat away at them. And I described it to this person on the phone. I said, here's what's going on. I needed their counsel on how to walk somebody through this. And here's the advice that this person gave me. It was really good. I said, you know, Rob, it kind of sounds to me that the person you're describing to me is not a whole person. They're not complete. They've got this, this void. And that's what sin does. It creates this incomplete part of your soul and slowly begins to unravel it. And the Bible says the word of God is the only source that you can get that life from. And if you're not careful and you begin to get blind to sin, it'll unravel what God has tried to put in. It will rip out. Look at how Proverbs describes it in chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. Solomon says, My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Pay attention. Incline your ear to my understanding. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what, what I'm trying to say to you, that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. Look right back in chapter 4, verses 20 to 22. Here's what he says. He says, My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let, not, uh, let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them. Life. So the very life that you need to become a whole person comes from the wisdom that God offers in his word. That's what he's saying. My wisdom is the source of life. It's what takes an incomplete person. Think about it in the the way that creation was done in Genesis chapters 1 and 2 so that you have this empty, formless void and God's word speaks into what was empty and void and brings about life. And what the creation account does is it describes how God created, but it also describes how God works spiritually in our lives. He looks at the depth of our sin, the darkness of our struggle, and he speaks life into our struggle. And all of a sudden, life springs up inside of you. This is what the Bible describes uh, as salvation when God speaks into you. Theologians will call it ex nihilo, meaning out of nothing. God speaks and there is something. There is life, there is goodness. And God does that in each and every one of our lives. And then the Bible says, and then sin enters the picture And what God has spoken into being, if we're not careful and we're blind to sin, it will begin to unravel and rip us away from the truth that gives us life. God's tried to communicate this all through Scripture. Think about this. In in Exodus, the ten plagues, many of you have uh, seen the movie, (laughs) if not read the passage of Scripture, right? And so you have Moses coming to Pharaoh, the most powerful person in the world. And he comes and he's got these ten plagues. And for the longest time when I would read that, I would think these plagues are to display to Pharaoh who's really in charge, who's the most powerful. And maybe there's an element of that, but that's really not the heartbeat of why the plagues took place. The plagues were not intended to simply show the power of God as being better or superior to the power of Pharaoh. That's not why they, they, the only reason they happened. God could have displayed his power to Pharaoh in a multitude of ways. He could have. He could have come in and he could have just displayed power by killing soldiers and destroying things and changing things right in front of Pharaoh. And he could have made it very obvious Pharaoh has, is no match for God, but that's not what he did. Instead, he unleashes these plagues because they point to a deeper truth of the unraveling of what takes place in our heart with sin. He's saying in your rebellion against God, when you engage sin, when you're blind to the work of God, 
because sin has encompassed your heart and mind. This is how life unravels, both in creation, which is what the plagues happen, but he's also describing what takes place spiritually in your heart. It's a progression. It's a strategic progression. Think about it. The Nile turns to blood, which causes the frogs to come out. The frogs bring the gnats. The gnats bring the disease. The disease brings the boils. The boils bring darkness, and darkness brings death. It's a slow progression that ends up killing you. It illustrates clearly what Proverbs is telling us. If you're not careful, sin will begin to grow deeper and deeper and encompass your identity, encompass your purpose, encompass your value, encompass your worth. Before you know it, it leaves you spiritually dead. My youth minister, Nate, the guy who led me to Christ, would oftentimes use this illustration uh, to describe the effects of sin. It's a popular illustration. Maybe you've heard it. But sin is a lot like the way that wolves are killed in Alaska. You see, wolves wreak havoc on people because they'll kill the seals and they'll kill animals. And so in order to kill a wolf, what they do is they take a knife and they dip it in the blood of a seal and then they freeze it. And then they dip it in the blood of a seal again and then they freeze it again. And then a third time they dip the knife in the blood of the seal and they freeze it again. It looks like this. They bury it uh, handled deep in the snow. Then a wolf comes along and a wolf is enticed like honey right, enticed, and it's smoother than oil, and the wolf comes in based on the attraction and begins to lick the blade. And man, he can taste the blood of the seal, so he keeps licking and licking and licking, but what he doesn't realize is that the ice is numbing his tongue. And before you know it, he's licked all the way through the seal blood, and now he's licking the blade, and the blood that he's tasting is not the blood of the seal, but his own blood. And before you know it, it destroys the wolf. This is the way sin works in our life. It, it appeals to us. It draws us in. It's things that we like. It's things that we value. It's things that we are attracted to. It's things that are fun. It's things that are enjoyable. And before we know it, the more and more we engage in them in a sinful fashion by elevating them to a place that they should never be in your heart and in your life, before you know it, your soul becomes numb to the effects of that sin. And you just keep going and going and going. And before you know it, it's no longer that blood. It's your own blood. As your life is slowly falling apart and unraveling. Relationships are being destroyed. And you've got no other source of life. I love the way that Barbara Brown Taylor describes it. She says it this way. Neither the language of medicine nor of law is adequate substitute of the language of sin. See, contrary to the medical model, we are not entirely at the mercies of our maladies. It's not just about the physical world. The choice is to enter into a process of repentance. Contrary to the legal model, the essence of sin is not primarily the violation of laws. It's not just breaking the rules of God, but a wrecked relationship with God, one another, and the whole created order. See, all sins are attempts to fill voids, wrote Simon Whale. Because we cannot stand the God-shaped hole inside of us, we try stuffing it full of all sorts of things, but only God can fill it. So many of us, we've done this. We realize that the world we live in, not the one that God originally designed, is broken and flawed. We've got these voids in our own lives, these deep wants. We want to feel valued and accepted. We want to feel like we have worth and purpose, like we're good enough. And so the world begins to entice us like honey with a sweet taste of success, of education, of accomplishment, of being the best wife or the best mom or the best dad or the best coworker or the best employee or the best boss. And we put everything we've got into these things. These aren't bad things, but the more we try to stuff this God-shaped hole that he created inside of us, with those things, the more empty we're left. And we move from one thing to the next before becoming completely numb to the effects of sin in our life, and our whole life begins to unravel. See, unchecked sin, it's going to consume you. When you don't confess that sin, when you don't get help for that sin, it consumes you slowly. And some of us, we don't even think we've got a problem with it because we can't see it because we're blind to it. It's a blind spot. 
the very nature of a blind spot is that I can't see it and I can't identify it. And so over and over again, I'm numb to it and I'm numb to it and it begins to completely destroy my life. Here's the thing I know about each of us that are in Christ. All followers of Jesus have a mission. We say this around here all the time. We don't, we don't think that church is a seat watching a stage. Ministry doesn't happen on a stage. Ministry happens when you leave this place. This is the gathering where we prepare for the scattering. Ministry takes place during the week as you intentionally live out the life God has called you to. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you have a mission. But here's the thing I want you to know about sin. You need to understand this truth. That your mission for God will never, absolutely never, outpace your maturity in Christ. Here's what I mean about that. You cannot accomplish great things for God and leave sin unchecked in your heart. You can't have this great mission where God will receive all of the glory. Sure, you can white-knuckle it and accomplish a lot based on your own talents and abilities, but the mission of God will not outpace the maturity that takes place in your heart. You've got to humble yourself, deal with the sin issue that is unraveling your heart and life that you've been blind to. You've got to deal with that sin if you want the mission of God to advance in your life. So many people come to me and they're wondering, why does God not have a purpose? Why is God not working in my life? Why is, not God, why is God not doing all of these different things in my life that I want him to be doing? And the question is not, why is God, why is God, why is God? The first question we should start with is, what's going on in my heart? What am I blind to? What am I not seeing? What is it that, that what, what, what sin is eating away at my person? What, what sin is eating away at my soul and causing me to be incomplete and un, incapable of seeing what God might want me to do? See, we don't start with God being the problem. We start with our own heart. And our sin struggle being the problem. Now, how do we overcome it? See, we see what sin is and we know what sin does now, but Rob, how do I overcome sin? And many of us, we, we've got this belief that if I just show up to church enough, it's, it's like this. If I just show up to church, if I just accomplish different things, and if I just try harder, it's a lot like this balloon in your Christian life. If I just come into this place called church and I sit in a seat every week and I just try harder, everything will get good, but inevitably sin returns. Okay, and so now I've got this sin struggle and maybe showing up to church isn't enough, so I'll join a group. I'll hit the balloon a little bit harder. I'll keep tapping it, hoping that I can overcome this sin. If I just do all these Christian things, I'll listen to more K-Love, I'll read Christian books, I'll subscribe to Christian magazines, I won't watch rated R movies, except every once in a while when no one's watching. And then all of a sudden, I just continue to keep struggling with sin. You see, we've said this at New Hope quite a bit, I believe with all my heart. The gospel which is the only solution to your sin problem, it's not about behavior modification. It's not. You see, the gospel is about something much deeper than just simply trying harder. The gospel is about heart transformation. The gospel enters into your life, and it's not as concerned with the external behaviors as much as it is what takes place on the inside. You see, it's not so much what you do on the outside. You have to be made a whole new person. You have to change the very inside of your heart. You need to allow the gospel to redefine your, your purpose and your identity. You need to allow the truth of Jesus to identify these sins and help you realize that they do not define you. And for many of us, we just keep coming back to trying harder and we white knuckle it. And I think if I'm just Christian enough and I just behave enough and if I just don't cuss and I just hang out with really nice, well-behaving, moral people, then everything's going to be good only to continue struggling with our sin. And for most of us, we struggle silently. And we're showing up to the shores of a war with a beach towel and some toys, thinking that somehow if I just try hard enough, this sin thing won't be that big of a deal. And Proverbs is crying out to us, you can't solve your sin problem. You can't overcome it on your own. You need a heart transformation to take place inside of you to redefine who you are so that God can take you to levels in your life that you could never get to on your own. See, so redefines who you are, and he works powerfully in your life. 
I love the way that a preacher from 200 years ago named Thomas Chalmers describes it. He says this, even when we see the stupidity of our sins and how empty they are and how they only make us sad, that realization still does not change us. It does not change you to simply understand what sin is and what sin does. Knowledge about those things cannot bring about transformation in your life. We start changing only when we see Christ. When we see that Christ will make us alive in ways that our most darling sins can't, that the sins that like honey but leave a bitter taste like wormwood, Jesus never will. Jesus will never leave you wanting. He will never leave unmet expectations. He will fulfill you and change you from the inside out. When we see that Christ will make us alive in ways that our sins cannot, when we see that in Christ we're not losing anything but our damnation and gaining everything we desire in our most deepest intentions. The gospel shows us Jesus pouring out his lifeblood so that we can live. The gospel says, look at him, come to him, follow him. Don't just try harder. If you'll come to him and allow what he did for you to consume your heart and your mind, then you will stop dying and you will start living and that life will never end. That's the truth of what sin is. That's how you overcome sin as you return to the gospel. But here's the thing, we still struggle. Martin Luther said it this way, every day I preach the gospel to myself because every single day I need to hear it. And every single day I forget it. We return to the truth that transformation is not based on our actions, that our actions and our behavior are byproducts of a transformed life and heart that only come from Jesus. I love the way Paul says it. You know, Paul, S on his chest, look, the Morris family, I love them. They planted over a thousand churches in India. Paul takes it to a whole nother level. Greatest church planter to ever live in the world. The Apostle Paul says this about his sin struggle in Romans chapter 7, verse 21. So if I, find, if I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. I desire deep inside of me to do what God wants me to do, and yet there's evil right here. And if based on my own efforts, evil's not leaving me. Verse 22, for I delight in the law of God in my inner being. I really love the word of God, and I know it gives me life. But I see in my members, the other parts of my body, another law waging war. Notice the imagery he uses. This is a war. It's waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my body. Wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of anguish? What he's come to realize is that no amount of effort and tapping the balloon has helped him overcome his sin. But he, he answers that in verse 25. Thanks be to God who did for me what I couldn't do for myself through Jesus Christ our Lord. See, friends, the only way to overcome your sin struggle is to humble yourself and realize you are not good enough. You are not strong enough. You're not talented enough. You're not capable enough. You're not deceitful enough. You're not a good enough liar. You can't hide it forever because it's a blade. And the longer you lick that cold blade, the more numb you become. And sin will eat you alive unless you return to the truth of the gospel where God says he did for you what you would never be able to do for yourself. And he overcame that sin. So I want to leave you with some homework. And you think, homework? Are you serious? Homework, right? We come to church. A lot of times, if you're like me, I, I came to church. This is what it was like. I'm going to come to church. I'm going to um, really determine what I like and don't like. I'm going to come and sit in a seat. I'm going to listen to a really good sermon. I'm going to get in the car. I'm going to sneak out before anybody tells me what they think I should be doing with my life. I'm going to get in the car. I'm going to drive away. We're going to get to lunch. We might talk about it. We might, might not. We'll come back next week and hear something completely divorced from what we've been hearing the weeks before. That's not biblical. We've got to take this and actually apply it to our lives. And, and here's the thing I know about blind spots. We can't see them. We can't see the blind spots in our lives. You're not smart enough to see what you're blind to. 
You can't see it. The very nature of a blind spot is that you cannot see it. And so each of us, we've got blind spots to certain sins in our lives, and God has given us the blessing of people that we love and care for to help us identify those blind spots and then return to the truth of Jesus dying for us, resurrecting for us, and preparing a place for us to overcome those sins, returning to the truth of the gospel, but we've got to make ourselves vulnerable. So I'm going to ask you right now out loud to confess. I'm kidding. What I'm going to ask you to do is I'm going to ask you to invite somebody into your life this week, someone you trust, someone you care about. Don't make this decision lightly. And one question. I'm going to invite you to ask your spouse or an accountability partner or someone you consider to be a brother to be very, very honest with you. And you're going to ask them this question. And this question is going to help you identify a blind spot, an area of your life that is not currently under submission to the life-giving word of God. And you're going to ask them to be honest with you. So I'm going to ask you to ask this question. What is one area, one thing in my life that you see that I'm doing that does not line up with me submitting to God's word? What is one thing that you see in my life currently, a behavior, a trait, a pattern, some sin that I'm blind to because I can't see it in my life as it's destroying my character and my identity? What is one thing that you see because I love you and I trust you and I know that you've got my best interest in mind? What's one thing you see? in my life, that you would say is not under submission to the word of God, but is in fact a blind spot to a sin that will lead to my destruction. Now, let me give you some counsel, friends. Okay, spouses, tune in. Okay, listen to me. A couple pointers. First one is this. Do not ask this on the way home today. You don't go out in the parking lot, get in the car, boom, boom. Well, you can ask. He said to ask. Ask it right now. I've got five answers for you. Here we go. Don't do that. Number two. If they don't ask, don't bring it up. Don't bring it, well, you, well don't bring it up now, like <laughs> about Tuesday. Can I, no. If they don't ask, don't bring it up. Do not bring it up. Number three, if they do ask, wait 30 minutes to answer them. I mean that. Because some of you are ready. You're like, one thing, Rob, how about two or three? I got three. How about three? One thing, wait 30 minutes after they ask the question. Because here's the truth I know about this. If the question's asked, that means you are one of the most important voices in that person's life. They trust you. They're making themselves vulnerable before you. Don't abuse that. Don't abuse that. If they're asking you, it's because they want your feedback, because they value it and because they love it and because they're ready at that point in their life to begin dealing with something they've been struggling with. The last one is this. Only respond with one answer. One answer. But Rob, there's a lot. One answer. Do not vomit 10 years of dysfunction on that person in that moment. One thing. As they begin to submit a certain sin that has been a blind spot that they haven't seen that you identify and they begin to work through it, my prayer is that they would have the courage to work through it and you would have the grace to be patient with them as they do. Friends, sin will kill us. It will destroy us from the inside out. And the only way to overcome it is to be completely transformed and come to the place where you say, I will not rest until I bring this area of my life under submission to God's word. And the question you have to ask yourself is one I can't answer for you is, are you ready to do that? Are you ready to say, there are some blind spots in my life that I've got to begin to deal with. I've got to get honest about them. And I understand church isn't just a seat. I, I've got to live this out during the week. So I've got to work through this and allow the Holy Spirit to discipline me on this and put encouraging people around me in my life. Will you begin to work it out? Because if you will, God will transform your heart and take you to levels that you can never get to on your own.